0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. Before I introduce our guest for today, please go to patreon.com slash indoctrination if you want to be able to have this show stay on the air. Thank you very much to everyone who has supported it. And please, please take a moment, if you can. Go to patreon.com slash indoctrination to keep it going. I ask people to help partner with me to keep it on the air. Not for me, for all the people who have contacted me who want to be able to tell their stories, who want to be able to keep hearing stories, who have let me know that they sneak off sometimes when they're in a kind of volatile and controlling relationship when they're in a cultic group and have not yet had the opportunity or the opening or the bravery or the courage or the support to be able to leave it. But they go off to listen to the podcast, to get kind of a shot in the arm, to get empowered, to get supported, to be reminded that they're not alone and that things get better on the other side. And so again, please go to patreon.com slash indoctrination and help to support the show for any amount. And now for today, I am so excited to have Ariella Sarai. She contacted me and when she said what group she had been involved in, I thought, oh, yes. Oh, I'm so happy to have her on the show. I've been hearing about this group for a long time and have not yet been able to have somebody, to get somebody to tell their story within this group to talk about what happens there. Most people have not heard about it. And so I'm so happy you get to hear about it today and also next week for part two of my conversation with her. Ariella is dedicated to understanding how we can bring forth the best in ourselves and others. She is a transformational coach. And after graduating from Columbia University, she spent almost two years in India, first volunteering for Mother Teresa and then studying Tibetan Buddhism. In the year 2000, she was introduced to an international self-development course called Avatar. She had recently gotten divorced and was struggling with emotions and anxiety, and it enabled her to get back on her feet and start creating the life she loved. She decided to teach the Avatar course. She kept doing what it took to get to courses and to bring students in. She moved up the ranks. Gradually, she began to get exhausted, though, and depleted, both emotionally and financially. She stopped prioritizing family and friends. She was devoted to what she calls the mission of recruiting as many students as possible, which she thought was the best way to help the world. She was on a course even on major holidays. Her son, marriage, and health all suffered. But she kept committing to the mission. She also started to get treated differently as she took on more responsibility in the avatar network. She experienced shaming, shunning, constant pressure, and public humiliation. But she kept telling herself that these were all part of her spiritual training. It got to the point where she had nothing in her own life besides Avatar. She got divorced and moved to Orlando to be in the same city as the Avatar headquarters. She was unhealthy, unhappy, and afraid to say anything and afraid to leave. She was devoted to Avatar for 21 years. When COVID hit, courses stopped for a little while and she got to feel what it was like to be rested to be home, to have more time with her boyfriend, who she had been with for two years. She had a break from the treatment she had been getting. She thought things might be improving, so she was part of the team that transferred the courses online. But then she started to experience the same way of being talked to and pressured and felt controlled all over again. Only this time, she could feel the impact it was having on her. She started listening to podcasts and reading about high-control groups. In November, she finally realized that she was actually involved in one. She had sacrificed what was most important to her, including her core values. As soon as this really got bad, she had one consultation with a therapist, made an exit plan, and less than 24 hours later, she left. At first, she experienced the sadness of losing her friends because none of her friends at Avatar would talk to her, even after her decades of devotion. She felt a loss of purpose and structure and was flooded with flashbacks of all the experiences she had gone through. Yet the joy and freedom and safety she felt, along with the unwavering support of her boyfriend and family, carried her through this very dark time. She was able to take what she learned and turn it into clear and empowering messages for others, and she started a private practice, she's writing a book, she's cooking, playing fetch with her dog, taking care of herself, and is now happier than she's ever been. Here's Ariella now. So I am so happy to have Ariella Sarai on the show today and we have a lot to talk about. So this may be one episode or it might be two because there is a lot to cover. I'm really excited to be speaking with you because you're going to bring an interesting perspective, both personal and professional to your experience. And you're also going to be talking about a group that by and large, people have not heard about and people have not yet been really open in this kind of forum to talking about. And so all the more reason that it's really a perfect fit and I think a real gift to give people to know what groups to do your research about before you get involved. Okay, so would you like to introduce yourself? I was a psychotherapist for about 15 years,
1: and I worked with all kinds of people. I worked in hospices, hospitals, foster homes. Um, I, I just loved working with a lot of people, and I was also always interested in spirituality. So I actually went to India for two years on two trips, and I studied Tibetan Buddhism on one trip and lived there, and then I also went and volunteered with Mother Teresa. So I've explored a lot. I've always been interested in working with people, helping people, understanding how people work. And there came a point as a therapist where I felt like I wasn't growing enough personally. Mm -hmm. I was stuck. I had been through some things. I had a lot of emotions that I couldn't get through. And I was looking for something more. So I was introduced by a dear friend of mine to a group called Avatar, and it's a course. And at that point, I had been divorced, had a three-year-old son, and I was a single mom and struggling with all these things. And I thought, wow, let's go check it out. So I took this nine-day course, and it was very transformative. For the first time, I actually got a different kind of result than I had gotten in my prior practice and in my own therapy. Mm -hmm. So I was
0: very excited. I'm curious, just, I don't want to interrupt the flow of what you're saying, but I was curious when you say it was transformative and you got something you hadn't gotten before. So what were some of those things and how was it transformative?
1: There were a few things. So first of all, the tools that they gave me were very effective. So as I was able to move through emotions that I had never been able to move through and feel very in charge of my emotional state, Mm -hmm. I learned how to create what I wanted to create and really focus on it. I learned how to control where I put my attention. Also, the people that were teaching me really listened. They were really with me. So I felt very heard. Uh, I felt cared for. It was a really unique and great experience. And then I also had these tools that
0: I could then take into my life and and use. Okay, that sounds actually, yes, I understand why it would be transformative. And I think it's really important to, to say those things because it is it's an important point, I think, where people, they hear about the negative about a group and how things went awry And the question is always, well, why did you get involved and why did you stay involved in something that was like this? And it's because it wasn't always like this. It was enough for you uh, who had had lots of other experiences hmm, to really kind of draw you in because of something really very tangible and positive, at least at the beginning. Absolutely. And then I went to the next level, the master's course,
1: where... You learn how to teach and how to be present with others. And honestly, at that point, I thought I had found like exactly what I'd always been looking for Mm. because it was a a, a worldview that sounded amazing to me. Let's let's help the world. Let's help people awaken out of their suffering. Let's do it together. The people were really nice. It was like a built-in purpose. And then I thought also that I could make money doing it in an honest way so that, you know, I, I could stay on my purpose and make money. And I thought, wow, what is better than this? I'm going to
0: do this. Right. And how nice also, and thinking about your natural proclivity to receive something and then want to give it and want to share it. That is very lovely. Sometimes that propels people to teach within the group, and also sometimes outside of the group. And um, we'll talk more about that, because I know that that's part of your story. Okay, so then, so you had these transformative experiences, you were able to use the information, and it mm-hmm. it changed things for you as a person, um, as a professional, as a um, what? What else? As a person. Mm-hmm. I was able to be
1: present, be Mm -hmm. calm, not be depressed and emotional. I was able to let go of traumas that I had been carrying. I had an understanding of how to really decide what I wanted to create and create it. I mean, it was like, so really, I think it was my personal growth and a vision for how I could help others. I knew that I had to keep it separate from my professional life at that time. I couldn't just take the tools, isolated and use them in therapy.
0: Mm-hmm. It wouldn't make
1: any sense because it's a whole program. So it was really my personal growth that I was very excited about and, and the ability to help others grow.
0: Okay. So then before we continue on with your own path, if you can let people know what Avatar is and... Where it came from, and you know, people are are going to have different things that they kind of compare to that. The name uh, from the movie, from having an avatar on video games, there are a lot of different avatars. And so, what is this one? So the Avatar course started in
1: 1987 by two ex Scientologists, and the course has now spread to over 70 countries and has been translated into over 32 languages and has had more than 100,000, I don't know the number, people take the course and over 10,000 people teaching worldwide. Wow. Wow. mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) That's incredible, actually. Yeah. It's quite a network. Yeah. Okay. So then when you said it was started by people who were former Scientologists, so then that lets me know, it lets other people know that there was probably an infusion of Scientology thinking or terminology, which you might not know if you haven't been in Scientology, but once doing research, you know, you'll see a lot of crossover. So where was there that crossover where you thought, oh, this is a direct... Connection or descendant of Scientology? Well, honestly,
1: not until I left this past November.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: Because I kept myself unaware. And what I was told was that they left Scientology because Scientology was a cult and they were doing it differently. So I never researched or focused on any of the connections. And, you know, obviously I haven't done Scientology, so I can't speak to it, but just from Mm -hmm. what I researched and heard, I can now see some parallels.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So yes. So from what I know about it, yes, there are a lot of similarities and the terminology is very similar. Some of the techniques are very similar, if not identical. But yes, it seems like they have made a departure to a certain degree and made it their own. And so then anything else that you wanted to say about the organization itself before we went back to your story?
1: Well, it's structured that you meet a licensed master. So that's a person who's licensed to teach who has taken that second level course. So you meet that master and that master personally guides you through the course. Mm -hmm. The courses are set up in hotel rooms and usually if you don't live in the city where the course is taught, you stay at the hotel, and your master is there with you and guides you personally through the course alongside of other masters who are also teaching. So mm-hmm. Avatar will put on the course, and we're having a course in such and such a city, this date and time, and then you, as a master, attend and you bring your students. Mm-hmm. Very you get a lot of one-to-one attention,
0: mm-hmm. which feels very good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we all well, by and large, we like that. And I think also just being in an environment where, like you were saying, that people are good listeners and they're responsive, and it feels very good to feel heard, to feel understood. It seems like it also happened without a feeling of judgment. Yes, that's true. Okay. There's a non-judgmental environment created for the students. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, right. I got, I got that when you said for the students. So, uh, we'll come back to that. All right. So then it sounds like you got involved and you moved through the program. So what happened next after you were doing these, these different parts of the program?
1: So Then I decided I wanted to start to teach. Mm
0: -hmm. And at that
1: point I had a small private practice as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And the teaching avatar really excited me more than that. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was a single mom, and I remember packing up my stuff and my three and a half year old stuff and getting us tickets to going to to go to Florida and finding a babysitter for him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and getting a student and teaching my first course in Orlando, as an avatar master. Wow. So that was the first thing. Now, what I want to say about that is it was very exciting, but it was also very difficult. Because even with one student, with all my expenses, which I paid, you pay for your expenses, a student pays you and then you pay for your expenses. And so um, I still, I ended up spending money to go on that first course and on many subsequent courses, as it turns out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the hours were very long, so I started at seven a.m. and the course and for the students starts at nine, but and ends at seven p.m. But for the for the masters, we go a lot later with meetings and everything. And my son was in babysitting that whole time, and so. Um, It was hard to get him food and myself food. You know, there there was a lot of challenges. And I thought that I just needed to get used to that. And it would be a really great growing experience Mm. to be able to get used to that. And so that was the very first moment where I started to feel this is something doesn't feel right about this. But I dismissed it because I thought this is so great and it's just all part of it and I'll learn how to handle it.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, it's so interesting. First, before I respond to the second part, the first part when you were talking about kind of paying for your expenses, basically paying to teach, if you feel comfortable sharing how much it costs you.
1: You know, I'm glad you asked that. And I've decided not to share those details. I reread my commitment when I did get my license and I agreed not to be sharing this kind of information, there is stuff out there on the internet
0: Mm -hmm. already.
1: And so I prefer not to say it. What I can say is that having your own student Mm
0: -hmm.
1: may or may not, you may or may not break even. And that depends on if you have babysitting costs and how much your travel and hotel costs. So if you have more than one student, you'll make something. If you have no students, you definitely are spending. And if you have one student, it's it's close to a breaking even.
0: Okay. So then to the part about you not knowing how at times you were going to get food for yourself and food for your child who was young and relying on you to take care of their needs. Uh, and that... Your initial response to it, which is very common, was to say, this could be good for me Mm -hmm. to have to figure this out, to have to go through this challenge, this struggle, and come up with a plan or work through it somehow or live through it. it. It's reminding me of people who go to yoga studios who are really pushed beyond what is comfortable and safe for them but are told this is the way that they kind of get to the next level and it's for their own benefit. There's a lot of that in a lot of different groups.
1: Oh yeah, and that was just the beginning. And just to be clear, I didn't have trouble paying for food, but just organizing how I was going to get him a meal with my schedule was really the timing thing as you probably, I just want to be clear. Right, oh yeah. How we were going to get all our needs met and get him to bed and then wake up. And you know there was a lot of coordinating Yeah. Yeah. And, but you're right. It is, that's a lot of what I learned. And I I might as well just start to share some of that now.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I feel like when when I share like the trajectory of what happened, it gets very intense. But the start of that is what I now call micro compromises of your integrity. Hmm. Mm, wow Mm -hmm. they're so micro that in the moment they're very easy to justify Mm -hmm. but they erode at your ability to discern if something feels okay to you or not and it also it makes you lose trust in yourself and it creates a dynamic where you are very easily influenced. Mm -hmm. You lose your own internal compass.
0: Mm -hmm. So I want you to be able to talk more about that because I think that's a fascinating term. And the micro part is often how it is that people will say, this didn't happen right away right, if I had been faced with this at the first meeting or the first workshop that I was going to have to go through all of this, there's no way I would have stayed. Uh, And so there is this sort of slow cooking process, something that one of my colleagues, Pat Ryan, calls sort of the yes steps. Like if they can kind of get you to say yes to this, then a, a yes to that, then a yes to this. Well, you've already made those commitments. And why would you stop now? You need to continue. And it is these little steps. And it's fascinating that you you call it that. So, right. So you're slowly worked on. And it seems like you also learn to work on yourself to justify it in your own mind and all of that. That's exactly right. So, yeah, if you can talk more about that, that would be really great. So what were some of those micros? No, in retrospect, how did they do that?
1: Well, so then you were invited to come to the next course. And I didn't want to go so soon. I think at that time, so I was in Avatar 21 years,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. 21 years. So, you know, I'm thinking back, I don't remember because as I got more involved, I was at courses every two weeks if not more. But at that time, it wasn't two weeks, but whatever it was felt quick to me to leave my life and get on a plane and do it again.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But I was encouraged that this would help me spiritually and how great it was and that it would be wonderful for everybody. And I didn't have a student that time so i i spent the money to go you know so that was another compromise of my yeah. integrity and then i started to wonder about my son like was that really okay he was with a wonderful babysitter there but he's plucked out of his life and his home and his home cooked meals and his routine mm mm-hmm. Was that okay? So that was another thing I started to feel. And I also started to feel tired. Like the hours were very long. And again, I was told and I told myself that overcoming all of those things were really part of my spiritual growth. Hmm. So I believed that. And I trusted them because the good part that I got felt so good. So I thought they really know what they're talking about. And I also thought they had my well-being at heart.
0: Okay, I'm curious also, I want you to be able to continue with with this trajectory, but first, did you have a chance and you don't have to mention anyone's names in particular, but did you have a chance to meet the people who started the organization? they were not accessible in the very beginning
1: but as i went up the ranks i worked with them every day every
0: day okay
1: yeah i really i really went up the, to the highest level and became what we call a big producer i had i was one of the people that created the most students i brought many many people in actually mm. and i i took on a lot of responsibility and i devoted every waking moment to the, the mission for many, many years.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it went in that direction. I guess that triggers a question of mine. And then I want you to go back. What was the mission? What was the stated mission? Essentially to give
1: people the tools to awaken a higher level of consciousness so that they're not working against themselves and hurting themselves and hurting each other. Mm-hmm. And they can live deliberately
0: mm-hmm. and
1: affect the world in a positive way.
0: Okay. And so, you know, I've talked before on this show and it bears repeating about how sometimes when we're given a mission or a task or a goal, that's invisible. That's not measurable. It's an interesting thing. It kind of takes us into a different realm where if we have a teacher who's guiding us in that way, if for some groups, the teacher decides when you have reached those goals and other groups let the students decide and sometimes the teacher will decide based on what's best for the group and not necessarily what's accurate about the student i just don't know who got to decide when someone had reached that goal the biggest measure of were you doing well in
1: the mission once i started moving up the ranks, not in the beginning, but once I really started moving up the ranks was how many people are you bringing in? Hmm. Did you bring someone in? How many students do you have? That became the sole focus. Wow.
0: So doing recruitment for the organization.
1: Doing recruitment for the organization. Now, before we go there, you asked me what the mission is. Mm -hmm. And so what I noticed looking back is that when I found out what their goal is to what I said to awaken people, I entered what I now see as a new paradigm. So there were some assumptions that were given to me that I adopted as new foundational beliefs. Now I'm playing a different game. Like in this world, you take responsibility for your finances and your family. And you, you know, you have, there's sort of rules of conduct and Mm -hmm. social rules and norms. So I wrote down some of the assumptions that immediately I took on that gave me a different worldview. And they were, I didn't question. And so, and they were part of why I went in so fully and really now I can say so blindly. So the assumptions as I see it, so this is my personal experience. There is no written doctrine of this. This is what I picked up, okay? That the ones who have the avatar tools are now the ones who are awake. Okay. Other people are asleep and they're suffering. And we need to reach as many people as possible. And this is how we're gonna save the planet because they really are suffering and they don't have a way. These are the only tools that are really going to wake them up. So it's your obligation to do that. Then here's an interesting one. If you devote yourself to the mission, Everything else in your life is going to work out. You don't have to work. Your money will work out like this magical thinking, Mm -hmm. your family, your child, because you are doing the highest level of service you can do in this world, the most pure, best thing. So you don't have to worry about those other things because they're going to work out. Just keep coming back and keep doing this and helping others.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And then the
1: final thing is that when things go well and you're doing well and you have students and you feel good, it's because of the tools and the mission. But if something's not going well, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's you and you need to stretch. So the reason why I present it like that is people need to understand when they're talking to their friends who are deeply involved or family members, they're literally talking to someone who has a new world view. Mm-hmm. And right. it really has different objectives and literally different rules.
0: Wow, it's incredible. And and it has this very kind of us versus them way of it really making a distinction. And it feels like, kind of a patronizing, insulting view of the rest of the world that we're all asleep and uh, you guys are wide awake. Uh, And so, I mean, that it's also par for the course. It's what happens all the time. Those are really interesting points. I wrote them down as you were talking. This idea of scarcity that you can only get this here. You know, we have the tools only here. I mean, that's a business technique right? You can only get this product from this company. Then I think that also keeps people in for a long time if they believe that, because even if they're not happy, they might really think that if they leave, that's going to be the end of them really having access to those tools. And then this other part that I'd love you to talk more about, sounds almost evangelical, You know, that we have to give people something or something bad will happen to them. And so that can make people be very kind of pushy in other people's lives if they really do believe they have the answer that you need. So did that change your behavior with people? It did, because I felt that I had a right
1: to push what I thought they needed
0: onto them. Mhm.
1: Now, I wasn't as pushy as some, and I actually got in some trouble for that, but I still pushed people, and as I moved further and further up, I was responsible for more people, and then I was helping now people who were teaching get their own students. Right? So it wasn't just mine, but I was teaching people how to get students, and I did really try to influence people, and I thought I was doing it i told myself i was doing it for their own good
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i saw a lot of people ruin their finances and their personal lives and their mental health and of course they made those decisions and it depends on how long they stayed and frankly you know it's not like binary it's not all bad i helped a lot of students have really incredible transformations as well so it was both Right. but I definitely, I definitely pushed. As you take more and more responsibility,
0: mm-hmm. you have
1: to sign that you're going to be at a course eventually every month. It was the rare person that could find a job and create income that would allow them to leave for 10 days to two weeks, every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting dilemma that was never fully addressed head on. So that's part of what happened.
0: Interesting. Right. Even though they said that if you devote yourself to this, then everything will work out. Right. Okay. But you believe
1: that. And so then you have this confirmation bias and you just think you need to keep improving yourself. The reason why that's not, you don't say, oh, maybe that's not true. Isn't that interesting? You don't question that. You question yourself and you go, gosh, I need to improve. And when I improve, then this will be true. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Right. You keep got to building your skill and it's not easy to get people that the course costs $2,300 plus hotel and airfare. So, you know, it's not like you can find people every day of the week easily. Mm-hmm. And even at that time it costs that. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not impossible, but it's also not an everyday thing. That's a given that you're going to be able to do it all the
0: Right. No, definitely not. Okay. So then about ruining people's lives and then mental health. So, can you give some examples of what you saw?
1: Well, I'm going to share from my own personal experience. So, I met somebody and we got married. That was actually my second marriage. So, I had my son and then I met somebody and we started to build the life together. And when my son started going to school, elementary school. I still was bringing him with me for a little while, but the school system, the public school system says, said, you can't have this many absentees and your son has to be in school. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. fluency, you know? So I tried to fight it, didn't work. And so then I started leaving my son with his stepdad and leaving the relationship all the time and spending money. Mm -hmm. Now it just so happens that, that my husband at the time worked really hard and was very independent. So it kind of worked for a little while. Again, it's the same thing. It kind of worked. And then my parents were very helpful. They would stay with my son. My Mm -hmm. son's dad would take him. We kind of made it work, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I became very emotionally, upset. So where I had had all the gains, then when I started leaving all the time and then I couldn't get my relationship on a good footing and then I was leaving my son and then I was starting to not work and I had to get babysitters and then things started to kind of fall apart. So mentally I started getting depressed and anxious. And I remember before leaving for courses, I would be crying and but I didn't want to show anybody because I thought that was a weakness. So Mm -hmm. I never said anything. And then after a few years of that, I actually became a partner who wasn't very present. Like I I was always very loving Mm -hmm. and I tried, but I was very preoccupied because the phone was always on. In between courses now, I was always trying to get students Everywhere we went was about getting students. Mm -hmm. I started to eventually feel like relaxing and enjoying my life was what we called a transgression. So I I really stopped relaxing, stopped enjoying, and just kept going, going, going at the expense of all of that. And eventually, so my son uh, had some major struggles. And actually, even though I knew he was having major struggles and I'll, I'll protect his confidentiality, but if you ever talk with them, you'll find out. But in high school, he had some major struggles and I still went to the course. Mm -hmm. That is one of my greatest regrets. And then eventually I got divorced. And so that's one way to look at it. There's many, there's a lot that goes into finally getting divorced, but that's one way to look at my piece of, of what happened and how I really prioritized the mission over everything else that was important to me, including my family, my well being, and my finances. Hi,
0: everyone if you haven't already done so please 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 go to patreon.com indoctrination to become a supporter of the show it is vital to be able to keep it on the air as people know who listen to this every week i pay for it out of pocket and every amount helps when people go to patreon.com indoctrination to become supporters of the show, to become patrons. I am getting close to being able to say that I'm breaking even, but I would like to be able to not only break even, but be able to have enough to be able to ensure the future of this show. So please do what you can and partner with me and partner with my team and go to patreon.com slash indoctrination and become a subscriber. And now you get some cool goodies and some merchandise that we've put together for you. And I can't wait to be able to share it with you. Thank you so much. And now, one more thing before you go. Thank you so much to Ariella I love that she was able to be on the show to talk about a group that I've heard about for many years, but the public really hasn't heard about. I remember years ago going into some random store here in Los Angeles and seeing a flyer for this group. And everyone seemed so happy and smiley. And, you know, because I've been in this field a long time, there was something that just felt off about it everyone was a little too smiley. And so I wondered, what is it about this group that's sort of feeling off to me? Well, Ariella and others who have now come forward to talk to me personally, and now Ariella publicly, helped to confirm the suspicions that I had that something was and is off. I think One of the things that Ariella said, though, that left an impression on me was when she said that it was very powerful for her when she first got involved in the group because she felt listened to. She felt heard. People asked her questions. They wanted to know. They wanted to know about her. They wanted to know about, I guess, what mattered to her and what was on her mind and they listen now of course in retrospect we can question what the intention was and why they were listening so intently and if the intention was pure or if it was for future manipulation or control but either way in the moment it feels very satisfying and it's a human need What I am going to say is not at all meant to blame parents, loved ones, other caregivers. I don't think you ever need to take responsibility for other people taking advantage of a human need and the human need just to know that we matter. But there is a huge amount of power that comes along with being the listener, relaying back to someone that you heard what they said and that it mattered to you. There are a lot of people, and I'm sure you've heard this too, who will say, oh, I just love that person or I loved that person because he or she made me feel special and made me feel like when I was speaking to them, I was the only one in the room I was the only one who mattered. So I want to be able to say to people to remember that it actually doesn't take a lot of effort to help people know that they matter. But it also doesn't take a lot to make people feel that they don't matter. And what I mean by that is, I remember when I was working at a school for many years doing counseling. I would see that there were some parents who would show up to pick their kids up at school and the parents were on the phone and they stayed on the phone even when the classroom door opened and the kids were coming out wanting to tell all about their day and instead they were kind of shushed and reprimanded, you know mom's on the phone. Let's talk later. Or don't talk to me now. Dad's on the phone. And I'll talk to you when we get home. But as we know from kids, that's missing an opportunity. Once they get home, sometimes that's too late. They've already moved on. And what's their motivation to want to tell you about their day? Because it didn't matter to you before. Why would it matter to you now? There are plenty of people too who will pick up their kids and be on the phone in the car or have another passenger in the car who they're talking to. And so that child feels that they need to be quiet so they're not interrupting. But in that moment, it would take very little just to be able to put the phone down or tell the person in the car, hang on one second, my kids are getting in. And I want to be able to ask them about their day. It's so little effort, but it's so monumental. I want you to know that whenever people feel ignored, they will be drawn to the people who make them feel not ignored. And sometimes we push people into situations. Because they're so hungry to be heard that they don't even question who these people are who are listening or why they're listening. And they don't take the time to kind of discriminate if this is someone who really does care about them for the right reasons. It feels almost like being so thirsty that you'll take a glass of water from anyone who hands it to you. As a mom, I do a lot of listening. It's my role and it's my pleasure. And I'm happy when my kids want to open up to me about their lives or about something on their mind. I know I'm not always immediately available, but I try to be when I can be. And I think it is an honor when they want to open up about something private or something emotional. And as a therapist, I also a lot of listening and i've noticed it's a different kind of listening i find i remember what my clients tell me in a greater way than i remember other things and same with my kids i remember what my kids tell me to a greater degree than i remember other things i'll remember minutia when people tell me their stories but It very often happens that I can't remember why I just walked into the kitchen. And I can't remember why I walked into the market and what was on my list that I left at home. But I think the different kind of listening is that I'm listening with intention. I know that if someone wants to share something with me and they go ahead and share it and it's personal or private, Or emotional, it says two things to me that it was important enough, the content was important enough for them to want to share it with me. And also that they're entrusting me with it or kind of testing me with it to see if I can be trusted with it, if I respond the way that's helpful to them and that's kind and accepting. But I also know that with my intention, My intention is never to be the only one people can talk to. My intention is never to respond in a way that gets a message across that I am someone who is the only safe person, who's the only one who understands. It's something, though, that cultic groups will do, they will try to convince you that really they're the only ones who care and they're the only ones who will truly get you. So I see my role as not being limiting and dependency producing, but rather expansive. Seeing how I can help my client, for example, add others into their lives so they feel connected to others, even one other person who can be invited or re-invited into their lives in a safe and supportive way so they know they have more than just me to talk to. From early on in life, children and adults also want people to hear them and not only hear them, but to really listen and to believe them, to empathize, to be interested, to want to know what they have on their mind, And in that way, it bolsters self-esteem. It bolsters self-esteem, especially when you do two additional things. When you do active listening and something that I call referencing. Active listening is a way to listen where you just don't say, "Mm -hmm, uh mm-hmm, uh-huh, 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 but you say, wow, so what else happened? And then what? Oh, that sounds really upsetting. I'm so sorry that happened to you. What else? Thank you so much for telling me. Is there something I can do? Is there more you wanted to tell me about it? It's so nice that you trusted me with this information. I hope to be able to talk to you more about it another time if it's still on your mind. That is active listening. And referencing showing you cared enough to remember what they said so that you refer to it you reference it the next day or the next week by saying things like so sorry yesterday was a hard day or i remember what you shared with me last week so was this week any easier or was it the same Things like, you know, oh, whatever happened with that situation at school or work or home or within your relationship. You know, one of the things that I remember learning when I was talking to someone who got involved in a group where she was fully radicalized, she was caught up in a movement where she said she would be willing to die for the cause. And this is something that I've talked about previously. On the podcast when she was asked why she got drawn in to this organization if she cared a lot about the mission or the ideals and she said no it was fascinating she grew up so isolated she was one of many siblings and there just wasn't enough attention to go around and her folks were not really very involved the kids kind of took care of each other and she said that she got involved in a, in a movement and in an organization because they remembered her birthday somebody asked her about her and asked her when she was born and when it was her birthday they contacted her to wish her a happy birthday which was more than anyone in her family had done and that was it she felt heard she felt her information mattered it was referenced it was remembered and she felt connected and they cared about her so she decided to care about them and their message it's important to not leave people hungry for that kind of attention it's important also for you to know that you need to surround yourself with people who don't leave you hungry for that kind of attention. You want to be able to fill the people up around you with enough sense that they matter to you that then they don't need so much of it from someone who's random. And they won't be so desperate for it. So desperate where they won't question who this person really is, and why they're listening so intently. So please remember how easy it is to not leave people hungry for this kind of caring and listening. Because sometimes when people are listening, they can confuse it with caring if they're so hungry for it. And don't settle for being surrounded by people in your life who leave you so thirsty, so hungry. You deserve better. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrinationpodcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination we love hearing from you too so send us an email at indoctrination show at gmail.com and for more updates on the show visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination